0: morning. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, entitled my message today, No Excuses. And uh, we're, so many are familiar with this particular text, um, particularly 18 through 32. And so often they are used uh these verses are used out of their context. Let me take a moment to connect you to the context and remind you why Paul is writing what he's writing. First of all, in verse 15, he states emphatically, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you in Rome. I, I, I want to preach it. Well, why is that, Paul? Well, it's the power of to salvation for all who are being saved. That's why. It's the power of the gospel. Power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. the Jew first, also to the Greek. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to fight for faith. This is how people come to know God personally and in salvation. Here, God's gonna, or Paul's going to begin talking about the wrath of God. We talked about that a little bit last week. The wrath of God. People say, God's not mad at you. Yes, He is. Yes, He is. And He's mad rightly. We're never mad rightly. Well, sometimes we are. But it's rare. God handles anger rightly. And His being angry and His wrath actually displays his love. If he didn't love, he wouldn't be mad about anything. But the Word of God tells us consistently, of, speaks of God's wrath, and, and now he's going to start talking about why is God wrathful. And he's going to be explaining, this is why I want to preach the gospel, because this is what men are like. This is what mankind is like what he's going to bring out now. I want to preach the gospel because men suppress the truth. Let me connect it to the afterwards context. Because in verse 24, we're going through verse 23 today, sort of. And uh, verse 24, it says... Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. God gave them up. Paul said, man, I I want to preach the gospel because men are dying apart from the saving truth of the gospel. And historically, they have always suppressed the truth. And they will suppress this truth also. Oftentimes what people will do with this is they'll take 18 through 32 out of its context. And they'll begin discussing and demonstrate how God allows nations to implode. And it starts talking about the patterns uh, that describe the impending demise of such nations as Rome. I mean, Rome was huge in its day. It was the nation. It was the superpower, if you will. And you can point to the vast immorality of Rome and Rome's culture, and you can see all the degradation that took place there, and just as it continued to be immoral, it continued to erode away. And those patterns are now applied to our society uh, and saying that it's following the same trajectory as Rome and our nation is going to implode and in fact is imploding. This passage has nothing to do with that. Nothing. This is not some... Hidden message by God that if nations don't follow this, they're going to fall apart. God raises up nations and God takes down nations. okay, And he may do it through that, but that's not what this text is pointing to. Paul is pointing to how ungodly and unrighteous mankind is. And because of that ungodliness and unrighteousness, God's wrath is poured out. And I want to proclaim the gospel so that they can be saved from the wrath of God. So it's not speaking about the demise of a nation, although you could certainly bring it to that place and find these things in a nation that crumbles. That's not Paul's point. Paul's point is I need to preach the gospel because mankind has no hope apart from the gospel. A couple of things I want to point out up front truth is evident. particularly truth concerning God, and all truth is God's truth. There are many books in existence today that seek to diminish the truth of God's existence and His right to glory and gratitude from His creation. In a world that suppresses the truth that God is, People naturally believe they're free to live however they choose. The result is rampant immorality and foolishness as a result. Truth is evident. That, I hope, is the theme all the way through this sermon. The second point I want to bring about... and. Understand it says that. They suppress the truth. It means it has to be existent in order to be suppressed. Second thing I want to point out is this. You have never met a person that doesn't know God. You have never met a person that doesn't know God. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, you have never met a... Just think about that for a moment. You have never met a person that doesn't know God. Now, to be fair, let me show you some verses that seem to conflict with my statement First of all, First Thessalonians chapter four, First Thessalonians chapter four, verses four and five says that each of each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So Paul's saying, you know what? You don't need to live like the Gentiles. They don't know God. Next, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 21, Paul writes, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believed? You hear that? They did not know God through wisdom. Next would be Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. In verse 8, Paul says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. When you did not know God, the knowing in these verses clearly speak of saving knowledge. Clearly speak of someone who has come to know God through Jesus Christ in a way that has brought salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. That's not what Paul's talking about. But what is he talking about? What knowledge is Paul speaking of in this section of Romans 1? Let me give you two broad categories, if you will. First of all, he's speaking of the knowledge of moral accountability. The knowledge of moral accountability. Look with me. Here he says that they suppress the truth. They keep it back. They knew God. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. So they are without excuse, it says in verse 20. They have no excuse whatsoever. They are accountable. There is moral accountability for everyone. What about the ones that hadn't heard? Let me repeat myself. Because I do that. There is moral accountability for everyone. Well, how can you say that? God's made himself known. They knew God. It says. You have never met a person that doesn't know God. Next, what is the knowledge? It's the knowledge of our desire to worship. Our desire to worship. Verse 21, it says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. It's expected. We all worship something. All of us. If you don't worship the living God, you worship something else. Or you worship someone else. But what's going on here is that Paul is stating something. He said, he said everybody knows God. Remember what I said about truth? Truth is evident. Everybody knows God, but we suppress the truth of God and who He is and the accountability we owe to Him and the worship we owe to Him. Paul is pointing to the reason for his eagerness to preach the gospel. He's exposing the condition of all mankind. Our push against truth through the distortion of truth, particularly in ungodliness and unrighteousness. So, why is it that we have no excuses? We are without excuse. All of mankind is without excuse. Let me point out three things. First of all, I want you to see the means of truth suppression. The means of truth suppression. How do we suppress the truth? How does mankind suppress the truth? Secondly, I want us to notice and pay attention to God's means of revealing God. God's means of revealing God. How has he revealed himself to us? According to what Paul says here. Lastly. A persistent suppression. I want us to know this isn't new. (laughs) This is not new. It's been going on a long time. So first the means of truth suppression. Look what it says in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In their unrighteousness, by their unrighteousness. In other words, they are steeped in. You know how you take a tea bag and you put it in some hot water and you steep it? and it just pervades that whole water. The water that was once clear is now dark. The preposition in is speaking of how mankind is in the midst of its unrighteousness, and in that unrighteousness, we push back on the truth. So uh, let's kind of unpack those words a little bit. First of all, the word ungodliness. It says there uh, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness. This is the irreligious nature of man. It is living without any conscious reference toward God. It says there that they knew God. They did not honor, word glorify there. They did not glorify Him as God or give thanks to Him. Ungodliness suppresses our innate desire to worship. Not by removing the desire to worship, but by distorting that desire through idolatry. So ungodliness, in other words, we have in us a reference to look to God. That is in us as the people of God. And in ungodliness, we suppress our desire to worship the creator, the God who... Created all things. We don't offer him gratitude because we think we got where we are by hard work. And you hadn't got anything that you haven't received. Nothing. So we suppress truth By means of ungodliness. And that ungodliness causes us to distort the innate aspect that we have in us to worship. God built it to worship him. Man distorts that. And we worship all kinds of things later on. And it says to exchange the glory of the immortal God, verse 23, uh, of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So we see idolatry there. That's the distortion of what God has put in us that causes us to worship. Now, we don't really worship reptiles anymore. Nobody really does. I mean, there's probably a few people who do that. That's weird, okay? you see our our worship is much more precise nowadays you know uh, our worship is here we worship ourselves we love our glory our whole being wants Simply to be liked. That's the whole goal of your life, it seems like. Our life. I just want to be liked. I just want people to like me. What a small goal. What a small object of worship. That's ungodliness. So we suppress the means of truth suppression is ungodliness. But next is unrighteousness. Uh, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And unrighteousness of men who, those men, in their unrighteousness suppress truth. Unrighteousness are the deviations from moral integrity in the heart or desire or behavior. It says in that they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Futile thinking leads to futile actions useless, that's what that word means, useless actions. We see later on, we won't get there this week, but they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they exchanged the desires, their passions, dishonorable passions. Women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. So we take this righteousness of God and we distort it, And we practice useless things, immoral things, unnatural things, and call them right and good and true. And we'll talk more about that later. I'm not going to get that far today. We'll talk more about the unrighteousness being a suppression of truth. I, I, w- I will take a moment, though. I want to read something to you because as we get into this we're going to be talking about things that are being talked about a lot and how truth is getting suppressed and suppressed in unrighteousness. And people have a weird way of thinking about what is right and what is wrong today. Always have had because of the suppression of truth. One of my members walked up to me after a service a couple of Two or three weeks ago, said, Hey man, I found this in the Bible there in the pew. It was only signed, I don't know if this is any of y'all that wrote this, but I'm going to use it over the next few weeks. And I just thought when I read this, well, this is going to be fun. It's from With Love. A true Christian. That's the only signature that it says here. Let me read it. Since we're talking about unrighteousness and the suppression of truth by unrighteousness. If you think being gay is wrong, so is premarital sex. So is divorce. So is judging others. You are not perfect. You do not live a sinless life. So far, everything's true there, right? Right? You do not know what God truly wants. I told you this is going to be fun, right? If you want to be accepted into heaven's gates, do not try and change someone. So Now we have a distorted gospel. If you're going to get into heaven's gates, you're going to have to try not to change someone. For who they are Love everyone and spread his word But don't try to say You are Christian when you judge No sin is worse Than another sin This is going to be fun In the weeks to come Actually Just so you know I do know what God truly wants He told me right here and he told you right here. I do. You do. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness by creating a righteousness of our own. And that's what this is doing. Let me create a righteousness of mine. The means of truth suppression. Ungodliness and unrighteousness. The means of truth spread. Truth is evident and obvious. Y'all realize that, right? I mean, we hear some of the headlines today as it regards transgender and homosexuality and things like that, and we go, really? Truth is evident. It doesn't have to be discovered as though it's tucked away on a remote island that is full of palm trees that are full of coconuts, one of which contains the truth. It's not hidden. It's evident. This text is telling us that truth is evident. It is obvious. God has made it obvious. He has made it plain. It's a God. Uh, what's known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. What is it that He's shown to them? His eternal power and divine nature, having been clearly perceived. Truth is evident and obvious. It is suppressed, not hidden. It is disregarded. But it is not hard to find. Not only the means of true suppression, but God's means of revealing God. Who is truth. Who is good. It says in verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. God has revealed God in the conscience of man. God has revealed God in the conscience of man. We know without being told that murder is wrong. That you shall not kill, although it is written in the pages. It's written on our hearts also. It's written in our conscience that when we see murder, we know... That is wrong. It's a truth that has to be suppressed in order to do it. You have to suppress that truth in order for that truth to be carried out. That's true of any it. Of Romans chapter 2, verse. it's only one page over, why don't you all turn with me there. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Paul is writing and he's continuing this same argument, really, uh, while he's still in, in verse 2. In verse 14 it says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Now, by this, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So what he's saying here is that that, uh, those without the law do the law as a course of what God has put in them. What he has written on them. They demonstrate that God puts truth in us. And we with intent. With ungodliness and unrighteousness suppress that truth. God created us for himself. Augustine expressed that. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our heart is restless until it rests in the Lord God. It says... Here in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. God reveals himself, one, in our consciences, in our being. He writes on us. The law, if you will. But also, creation testifies to who God is. It says here that He has made it plain to them because He's shown it to them. How? His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. I mean, we're talking about the world. We're talking about creation. We're talking about everything that he made. He's made everything. All the intricate details of of a human. All the parts of a flower. Psalm 19 says, heaven declares the glory of God. Jeremiah chapter 5. I stopped marking my pages so that you can turn there and I don't beat you. And I don't start reading before you get there. Because I'm pretty slow at getting there. Jeremiah chapter 5. You got a slow start that time though, so. Verse 21 says this. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it i mean, god created the world in such a way that you know what the sea is over here the land is over here and never the twain shall eat it'll happen temporarily and such things as a hurricane and so forth but it all goes back to the laws that god created within creation Creation tells us that God is. And if we're going to trust God, we have to believe that He exists and that He's a rewarder of those who worship Him. Hebrews 11.6 You know, here in East Texas, as you walk through the woods, it's, it's not unusual sometimes you can come across some old homestead or something like that, some old shack, some old house. Some old things that someone years ago built. Occasionally you'll walk through the woods, and you can probably do this at my house, and you find a tree that is standing there, and it doesn't have many limbs on it anymore, all the tops gone out of it and everything, but the wind must have blown real good one day. And that one tree standing up like this, and then there's another limb that fell, and it's laying across two other limbs that still exist on the other tree. And you walk, and you, you come through, and you look, and you go, it's a cross, you know? It looks just like a cross, you know? And you say, man, the wind must have blown that down. Yeah, probably so. But if you're walking through the woods and you come across some fence, you know, and then you come across this brick smoker, okay? And it's made of brick and, and it's got these grates in it and it's really old and you can tell that the mortar is starting to come loose and everything. And, and you can see that, that, that this thing was used at one point. I mean, somebody evidently had something out here. There was probably a house sitting over there because here's some fencing right here. Maybe they had some animals and stuff. In this big old brick. You don't come across that brick smoker and go, Man, the wind must have blown that up. No. No, what you think is somebody said, I need to smoke this venison. I need to build me a smoker. It was a designer of that. You don't look at creation and go, Wow, this just kind of popped up. There's a design to creation that reveals the designer. Such things drive us to ask, who who designed this? And it's then that Acts 17 comes into play. But we see that God created everything and we start groping around. We don't find him, but he makes himself known. But the distortion that comes from our ungodliness and unrighteousness, man seeks to suppress this truth that God created everything and exchange it for that which evidence does not prove or support an experience that does not prove it. Up until sometime in the 1960s, people believed that the universe was infinite, that it had no beginning, until scientists realized, you know what, that's not right. It did have a beginning. And the laws of thermodynamics demand something. That if there's a force, there's a force that pushes back against it. If there's something that starts something, if there's a beginning, something had to start it. The philosophers had it, called it the unmoved mover. We call it God. And he is a person. And he created everything. Science is always one step behind the word of God, by the way. don't it in a science book, but everything that it says is Right. God's means of revealing God is creation and his particular part of creation, mankind. He made us special. We have a conscience. And we have in us that murder is wrong. Have y'all ever watched some of these shows where a lion is stalking some elk? I guess elk and lion aren't in the same place, are they? About a Zebra or something, you know. Old lion, you know, sitting there prowling, and waiting, looking for the weak one usually, you know. I mean, that's just kind of how they are. They're opportunists, you know. Hey, that, that one's limping. I can outrun him. <laughs> that's easy prey. It's in them to do it that way. And suddenly they leap and they take off and they grab the zebra by the neck and they wrestle it down and they pull it and they hold on to it and it's kicking and everything. And they just hold. I know this is a little bit too much detail, right? Huh? And they're holding it down. You ever see on one of those shows where the lion got up and went, What's gotten into me? That was really violent. Why did I do that? Oh, something's terribly wrong with me. I need therapy. No. Lions behave like lions. It is in them to do that. But God made us for himself. That we would be like him. That we would long to know him. Maybe saying what? So is that it? No, I've got a little bit more. I want you to see the persistence of the suppression. When he says, That these things have been when he speaks of things in the past tense. He's not speaking of them as those are times gone. He's speaking of them as things that began long ago and have continued and persisted onward. Adam and Eve were given the truth. I'm the Lord your God. Hey, Adam, I created you. I'm the guy. I put my signature on you. Not good for you to be alone. Here's Eve, your wife. You name her. Hey, tend this garden. Man, I've given you all kinds of food. Look at all these trees. Now, I want you to stay away from this one tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. What'd Satan do? He came in. Did Satan suppress the truth? No, he just told a lie. Eve suppressed the truth. The truth had been given to Adam, and Adam gave that truth to Eve, and Eve suppressed the truth, and Adam suppress the truth the truth was there it was evident I mean can you see God I don't know did he take some kind of form when he did this hey Adam come on see this tree right here don't eat from this one he didn't say hey Adam there's a tree in this garden I don't want you to eat from but I'm not going to tell you which one it is And not what he did he pointed him to it. Here it is. Made it evident. Made it obvious. He made it clear. And they suppressed the truth. This is ancient. But it's still present this very day. I mean, when you think about all this, that the truth has to be suppressed, atheism is a choice. Atheism isn't something where somebody got smarter than everybody else and said, there's no God. I'm smarter than that. No, you're a fool. Why don't you call me a fool? Because the Word of God calls you a fool. I didn't do it. I'm just, I'm just quoting. Man, you're, you're making a choice to not believe. Because it's evident. He is evident. His love is evident. Richard Dawkins, atheist, Darwinian, says this listen, listen close. I know it's late in the sermon and everything, okay? But y'all listen, listen to what he says. I can't remember who I stole this from, but I stole it from somebody. Biology, is a direct quote, is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. I need to read that again, don't I? Listen. Biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. you got to work hard. You've you got to work hard to do that. Biology it gives an appearance of being... De- no, it's designed. I mean, you're working hard to suppress the truth. Here's the problem. People suck it up. It's kind of like, yes! Do you have this in a quart container, please? This untruth. I mean, can I have a subscription of this? Sure you can. We will pour it out all over the place. Mankind constantly is suppressing the truth. Mankind is not delivering the truth. They're not discovering the truth. They're not telling the truth. They're suppressing the truth. Francis Crick, a co-discoverer of DNA, says biologists must constantly keep in mind that what we see was not designed but rather involved. I think Shakespeare can answer him. He thinks he protests too much. Paul says, mankind's really distorted and warped. I mean, with all the ungodliness and unrighteousness, they are distorting the truth. And Paul's heart says, I want to preach the gospel. Man, there's desperate need for the gospel. That's what he's saying. He's not through with his argument, by the way. It's going to continue on. But he's given a reason of why the gospel is so important. I mean, you may ask, well, what about the person who's never heard the gospel? What about the person on the other side of the world who's never had all this? Is he going to be held accountable? Yes, he is. Do you know why? Because God has made it plain to them, He's made it evident. There's a designer. Look for him. You know what that also does? It presents us with an incredible urgency. All of us. An urgency to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. A great urgency to make known the gospel. I mean, what we do is we look in disbelief at all the unrighteousness that we see in the headlines. All the thoughts of men swimming in NCAA championships and the girls stuff. Number one, I couldn't do that as a man. It's kind of like I just have to keep, get beat by all the other guys. I'm sorry. But we see these things and what do we know? Well, that's not right. But our society has become so distorted and has become so accustomed to suppressing the truth that the ones who see clearly the evidence that a man is indeed not a woman are ostracized and alienated and called all kinds of names. And that doesn't tell us to sit over in our our self-righteous, arrogant thinking. What that does is it tells us, grow in our eagerness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is the power of God for salvation. And when that salvation comes men who think themselves women will revert back and say, you know what, (laughs) wow, how did I ever get that far off? There's no excuses for anyone. None. For not loving and glorifying God And giving him thanks for everything. Nothing. There's no excuse. Christian, you say, boy, I sure am glad I'm saved so I don't suppress the truth. Just a little bit more right here. So what excuse did you use this week to not read your Bible? Did you not suppress the truth that the Word of God is a lamp unto your feet and light unto your path by saying, I don't need that. How about your prayer life? How often do you just kind of pass on through and pray when things get really bad, but for the most part, you know, I just pass. And we don't necessarily do it consciously. But if it was a priority... If it was something that we saw that we desperately needed, we wouldn't put it off. How about our lack of evangelism? What excuses have you used recently not to evangelize? I don't want to offend them. Folks, let me just give you a bit of news you already know. The gospel's offensive. I mean, you start off the gospel with... God is love, uh, but you're not very lovable. You're a sinner. We do tend to still, in our redemption, having been redeemed, allow the shadows of suppression to enter our own life. Don't do that embrace the love of God, the word of God, the truth of God, the power of God. Embrace the Christ who died for you and never turn away from this truth. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your love and your grace. We want to thank you, Lord, that You have not left us without knowing what it is you want. We thank you, Lord, that you have made that known to us. And we thank you that we can enjoy knowing you. And enjoy you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be fixed on that. That we would not be suppressors of the truth, but proclaimers of it. Father, that we would make known the word of life constantly. Father, that we would live it, that we would speak it. And Father, that we would be willing to die for it. We love you, O God. And we thank you, Lord, that in all the distortions that exist in the world, your truth remains. And you have put it on our hearts, and you have written it by the hands of men that were moved by you to do so. And we find your word truthful, sufficient, inerrant, and infallible. So let us not turn away from it. But instead, let us be found faithful to it. In Jesus' name, amen.